G'day everyone, welcome to Lubrication Explained. Today I'm going to be talking about synthetic esters uh, with the COO of a company called Biosynthetic Technologies. Now I've always found esters really fascinating because esters themselves, are, it's just a functional group, right? It's that C double bond O and then single bond another oxygen. Um, and that's very generic, right? You can have that functional group in an infinite number of different molecules. And so I've always seen esters as being a bit of a technology platform. You can really add whatever kind of functionality you want to an ester and you can make it very customizable. And I think that there is the great potential that in the future we will see uh, very customizable lubricants where you'll be able to talk to a formulation company and order a very, very specific product for your needs. And I think esters really fit that bill. They also fit the bill because they fit in with sustainability. They can be made you know, from natural ingredients, they can be made uh, carbon neutral or even carbon negative in some cases. And so in many respects, I think that esters could be the, the future of the lubricants industry. So anyway, I thought the discussion was really good. Uh, we got into a lot of uh, technical detail as well as detail about, you know, the markets and manufacturing process. I found it fascinating. I hope you do too. Thanks. Uh, hey everyone, um, today I'm, I've got a really uh, interesting interview, I think um, predominantly about esters and the idea that uh, esters can be a bit of a sort of a platform for different technologies. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting because obviously esters are, are very widely used, but in, personally I think uh, a little misunderstood in the industry. Um, today we've got Matthew from Biosynthetic uh, Technologies and he's going to come and talk to us about all things esters. Um, so Matt, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Matt, uh, um, Dr. Creek, some of my colleagues call me, we have a running joke about, about the whole PhD thing that, you know, piled high and deeper, but um, I am the Chief Operating Officer here at, at BT and about Synthetic Technologies, we're an early stage company that is all around developing sustainable, mo sustainable molecules, really for making better futures, innovative solutions, um, and one of our key technologies is around ester, it's called estolides, and, and uh, I'm really excited about the ability to talk to esters and kind of evolution that technology with you today. Yeah, awesome. Um, so let's kind of start with the basics, right? So, um, you know, esters as a, as a molecule, as a, as a chemical, uh, it's obviously, you know, there's the ester functional group, um, mm -hmm. which, as I understand it, is, you know, widely seen in nature. So yep. maybe we could start from there. Like, where, where would we typically see esters? Where do they come from? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, esters are one of Mother Nature's great inventions. And so if you've ever uh, cooked in a natural oil, or, or, you know, uh, say a Crisco-type oil you buy on the shelf or peanut oil, uh, you're, you're working with esters. And so really what an ester bond is, it's a carboxylic acid basically uh, connected to a fatty acid. And, and nature builds these all the time, you know, rapeseed oils, uh, um, palm oils, castor oils, and you usually have some type of fatty acid. Nature tends to like 18 carbon molecules. And you basically, with an ester bond, you, you, you link those to usually a glycerin molecule. Nature, nature likes uh, triols or glycerins. And so you basically have three ester bonds that connect three fatty acids. Uh, and, and, you know, Mother Nature has been using this technology for, you know, millions and millions of years. Um, you know, we as, as, as 
people interested in say lubrication, which you know is, is our specialty here at, at BT in, in some areas, um, we have also been using Mother Nature's esters for lubrication. Uh, and, and natural esters have a lot of really interesting properties. They have really good VI. They're biodegradable. They're obviously renewable because they're they're coming from biosources in nature. We can regrow them and press them. Um, so they've got a lot of really good properties. Um, but it also, uh, to be honest, has some weaknesses. Um, you know, Mother Nature really didn't build molecules for the, the demanding applications of car engines and gear oil boxes and things like that. And, and some of those weaknesses in, in those uh, kind of Mother Nature esters really is around the oxidative stability. So when you get some air or oxygen in these molecules, they can kind of decompose in, into smaller pieces and you lose some of that lubricating function. And then the other thing that uh, esters uh, kind of Achilles heel uh, for this part of the technology is really around hydrolytic stability. So you get a little water in and these ester bonds like to kind of fall apart. And what you're left with is kind of a free fatty acid uh, and a glycerol molecule. And once again, you've, you've diminished the overall property of that ester, especially as, as a lubricating uh, uh, chemical. So, but you know, I'd say a lot of positives that mother nature has brought to us kind of with, with this ester technology. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess in, in, in my head, I've always imagined the, the ester functional group is kind of looking a little bit like a carboxylic acid, right? So, you know, with the carboxylic acid, you've got the double bond to the oxygen, and then a single bond to another oxygen, which is then bonded to a hydrogen. Uh, yep. And with an ester, you just kind of throw away the hydrogen and put some kind of alkyl group or, or some other molecule on the end, right? Yep. So um, uh, now maybe another, another question for you is that the, the traditional way in high school chemistry that we think of, uh, you know, esterification is what it's, it's acid plus alcohol, right? Gives you yep. ester plus water. So in, yeah. in nature, how, how is mother nature doing that? Right. Is she taking alcohols and, and acids and putting them together? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, you know, mother nature in a lot of ways is more enzymatic. It's, it's, uh, uh, you're using biology to do it, which, to be honest, there's a there's a there's a giant growing body of research called SynBio, where you try to take um, Mother Nature's essentially enzymatic um, uh, protein-based approaches for that chemistry and specifically make them better. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a little different. Um, you know, we as chemists, um, you know, have copied Mother Nature, but really not that route. We do more like what you're talking about. Is we tend to take acids, you know. We tend to take um, essentially free fatty acids uh, in this case and combine them with some type of alcohol group. And it can be, uh, you know, it could be an OH group on an alcohol, even like methanol. You know, a really good example of, of kind of the first tradi traditional synthesis of, of, I would say, basic uh, man-made esters is really like methyl esters. You take like um, a C18 oleate, so oleic acid, the most, probably the most prevalently produced uh, fatty acid uh, that Mother Nature produces. And you cleave that off in the glycerols, and then you tend to basically attach like a methanol, or you can do an ethanol. And what's good about that is you can make a much smaller molecule, so it's got much lower viscosity. Um, so you get more solvency, uh, smaller applications. Um, but once again, the big weakness of those types of esters is a really small methanol. That ester bond is big and open and just readily for attack. If you add water back in, you're basically running that reaction the other way. There's not much to stop it from falling apart. And uh, so that's kind of the interesting part of chemistry is, you know, um, we've kind of, 
you know, we've kind of a little different than, than, than Mother Nature and how we build them synthetically. Uh, but because of that, uh, they can go the other way without too much work. And especially if you have any type of acidity present uh, in your molecule. And like most modern lubricants will have some acidity, some total acid number in them. And just a little bit of acidity basically catalyzes that destruction of that bond. And so it's a runaway reaction. Because the more the more we break apart, the more free acids we have in, the, in, in those those oils. And because there's more free acid, they act as catalysts to further, uh, you know, destroy what's rest. And so it's kind of like a runaway reaction once it kicks off, uh, which is which is why it's a little bit of a you know an issue in some of our lubricants. But um, interesting chemistry, absolutely. So yeah, right. And I guess just to pick up, so um, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, hydrolysis on on this channel, um, and uh, specifically with uh, things like the jet oils, right, which are all polyol esters at this stage, mm-hmm. um, and and one of the discussions that we've had is why you can't really use oxidation as a as a proxy for the degradation of the lubricant because uh, well, first of all, with the FTIR, the ester functional group interferes with the with the signal and all that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. but predominantly, you know, one of the the uh, the best indications of the breakdown of the lubricant is tan because obviously you get acids as a as a byproduct of oxidation, byproduct. but you also get it as a byproduct of hydrolysis. So the tan is a is a pretty good proxy for the the overall degradation of the of an ester. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one of the ways we we've um, you know hydrolytic stability. And we'll talk about this a little bit when we get to S slides, but it, it's a it's a big thing for the applications we're trying to, to tackle with our technology, and, and it's it's one of the go tos is is when you're doing hydrolytic testing for life and all that tan is really the go-to methodology because it's just clear cut of, of kind of what's happening as that molecule degrades um yeah you know and, and it was interesting you talk about like you know jet oils like you know oxidation and it's funny it's some esters you know what i like about esters is you have a lot of freedom to build like say a polyol ester like you were talking about it is you can pick the initiator right so i can do like tmp it's a common initiator pentaerythritol common initiators it depends on how many oh groups I want to bond those chains onto, and then I got a lot of flexibility in that. That I guess that R group, as you call it, is is how long is it going to be? You know, is it going to be fully saturated? Is it going to be unsaturated? Is it going to be branched? And that allows you know allows a chemist to really tailor things like um, overall functionality. Allows it to tailor its viscosity. You know, uh, the bigger it it, it can optimize. Uh, you know, one thing if you really want, like we talked in aviation earlier. Um, you need smaller chain fatty acids on those polyols to really get those good pore points. When you start to get to longer chains like C12, 14, 18, which are the chain size mother nature tends to make, they tend to have pretty average pore points, minus 20 to minus 30 C. If you want minus 50, minus 60, where you need lubricants to operate, say like in jet engines and and, in aviation applications, you need much shorter molecules. Valeric acid is a common one, but those tend to be non-bio-based usually produced synthetically through you know syngas and uh, and other molecules uh, kind of refining processes mm-hmm. so what's so what's nice about esters is they're very tailorable um and there are things you can do with kind of traditional ester technology if hydrolytic stability is your your go-to and mainly like so the use of secondary alcohols and branching structure for steric hindrance but in general making primary esters like you do with polyesters there isn't much you can do around hydraulic stability and so you know when you tend to do these applications they tend to be in dry applications 
Um, you tend to see things run around like toast tests that are dry versus like a wet toast test because uh, you get a little water in and, you know, we've, we've tested this ourselves, whether it's a monoester or a diester or a polyester, a complex ester. Uh, once you start that reaction, it almost self-catalyzes because you're producing more and more of that acid. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, but I mean, but oxidative stability can also be an issue for esters. You know, if you're using uh, non-saturated, for example, one way to get uh, really good pore points with using C18s is to use a caseoleic acid with that double bond in there. You get a little bit of kink. Uh, you get a you get basically you don't get things overlaying in stacks. You get some branching that helps the pore point overall, but you're going to take a hit to your oxidative stability. Uh, so you're going to see that breakdown product in addition to the hydrolytic stability breakdown in those esters as well. So. Yeah, yeah. So maybe a couple of things to pick up on that you just sort of uh, said there. One of them was um, just want to be clear. So uh, one of them you were talking about was the initiator molecule and you were talking about TMP and a polyol ester. So um, just for, for people who are maybe not as familiar, so when you talk about the initiator, that in the acid plus alcohol reaction is the alcohol, right? So there are mm -hmm. a bunch of different alcohols. You've got TMP, which you talked about, but uh, I guess, I think most of the jet oils are NPG, right? The neopental glycol. NPGs, you, NPGs, I believe some of them use the penerythritols. Right. Um, you know, uh, you can use things even up like the sorbitol. And, yep. and what you're doing here is you're, you're picking the functionality. So it's the number of, um, of those acid groups that I can esterify onto those alcohols. So hmm. the more alcohols I have, the more acid groups I can add, right? And, yeah, and, so, know, and that's an interesting one because the way that I understand, uh, let's say polyol esters versus diesters is that the polyol esters, it's kind of like the, the alcohol you put in the middle and then you attach stuff to all the different alcohol groups. Whereas the diesters, the alcohols are kind of on the outside, right? And the acid's in the middle. Yeah. And you, usually you use something like um, sebacic acid. So something that has two carboxylic ends that yes. are tied together in one molecule. And then you're, you're grouping on alcohols on the end of that. Yeah. And that's why like with some diesters or even, even let's say monoesters, right? Where I take a single alcohol, like methanol. So if I take methanol and um, a C18, oleic acid, I'll make methyl oleate, right? And it's a very, it's, it's one bond. I only have one bond to do that. It's a very uh, hydraulically unstable. But if I want to improve the hydraulic stability, I could take something like 2EH, which is a, you know, another alcohol, but it's branch. It's a branch secondary mm -hmm. alcohol. I put that on oleate and, and you'll, you'll almost double, triple the hydrolytic stability because of sterichindens. And, and so the same thing goes for uh, diesters. You can kind of play that game because the carboxylic acid is really already part of the, the main structure you're adding onto. Mm. So you have a little more alcohol group. When you're trying to make a bigger molecule like a polyol, you, you pretty much have to put the alcohol group in the center and build the chains off of it, or it, it kind of doesn't work, if you will, from a, from a chemistry standpoint. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then two other things to pick up on, and then I'd like to talk come back to that hydrolytic stability stuff. Um, so one of the things you talked about was um, oleic acid and the idea that it has a double bond in it and a, and a kink. And we were talking about mm -hmm. how that then affects the pore point. Right? So I actually just did a video on the channel about pore point uh, about a week ago. Um, so I guess a couple of things to pick up on there. One thing that you were saying was that as the molecule gets longer and longer, Right, that, that R functional group gets longer and longer. If that's a straight chain, mm. then I guess if you were to zoom out, that molecule is starting to look more and more like a paraffin, right? Overall. Yep. 
So, so that's exactly. why it's negatively affecting your poor point. Then when you talked about introducing the double bond and saying that that puts a kink in it, my understanding, you know, geometrically is that the uh, double bonds are not straight. So in, mm -hmm. rather than having a straight chain alkane, you now have a bend in that paraffin. Um, and that means that the molecules aren't going to stack nicely when it comes to crystallization, right? So that's why that's helping you out with your pore point. But then yep. conversely, the double bond is going to be less oxidatively stable, right? So you, it's it's kind of a trade-off. Yeah, you're um, a you're you're a lubrication uh, you're a lubrication uh, master engineer here, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to. For me, everything uh, is is visual, so visual. you have to just kind of imagine how these these groups look, and then you yep. can kind of put together the physical properties on top of that. So. Um, yeah, so if you think about it, you're right. It's, you're going to get basically what almost looks like paraffinic, like waxing type layering of these molecules that lay on top of each other. And, um, you know, as an example, we, we built molecules, the same molecule with and without the double bond. So it's the same molecular weight, mm. you know, using the same starting materials, using the same uh, free fatty acids. And we'll see pore point differences uh, of almost minus 30 Celsius. So wow. that, one, Big. that one bond kink can take a, poor, a molecule's pore point from minus 20 to almost minus 47. And, and so it's it's dramatic, that, that little, you know, confirmation change where instead of a flat line, you're either like this or, or like this, right, mm. um, can have a dramatic effect on, on pore point. But like most things, it's usually give or take. And, and so the, the take in that case is you're using an inexpensive molecule, but you're suffering oxidative stability. Now, you can recreate pore points as good using much shorter chains and, and the way I think about that is they're not long enough to kind of overlap. And so they almost self kink a little bit because of yeah, the, right. the shorter, the shorter length. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, cause I guess once you get shorter, um, uh, chains as well, again, if you zoom out, that molecule now looks less and less paraffinic because the, the ester functional group starts to dominate the, the molecule yep. as well. Right. And that's got polarity yep. to it, blah, blah. Yep, polarity, that's, you know, yeah, exactly, so. Yeah, cool. Now, uh, so a couple of things I, I, I do want to touch on. Um, uh, one would obviously be hydrolytic stability, because that's, um, you know, if you wanted to talk about negative perceptions of esters, mm -hmm. um, hydrolytic stability is, is definitely one of the main ones. And the other one's yep. probably on the seal swell side. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for whatever reason, early on when... It, 100% esters were used as engine oils. I guess it kind of attracted a bit of a negative perception around seal swell. Um, so let's talk about hydrolytic stability first. Um, yeah. Uh, so so again, like you said, it's 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 effectively water interacting with the ester functional group, breaking that down, and it's doing the the esterification reaction in reverse, right? So instead of going acid plus alcohol gives you ester plus water, you're adding water to the ester and you're getting acid plus alcohol, right? So that's how I guess I, I sort of think of it. Um, now, the way I understand it, specifically with what you guys do at Biosynthetic Technologies is to use effectively the geometry of the molecule to uh, reduce that the chance of that reaction happening. So can you explain yeah. exactly how that that works 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, our technology was, was, I really think one of the key highlights that we tried to do with our, with our, what we call an S-Slide, um, mm. S-Slide technology was really fix that hydraulic stability part of esters because we like so many of the other properties. And, and what we've done is an, an estalide is a secondary ester. It's not a, pri a primary ester would be like what we've been talking about, the polyols, right? You take the alcohol group, you take the acid, you link them together. Um, a, a secondary ester means you kind of put it in the middle of something. So instead of these two like in-groups coming like that, you're basically making a bond down the middle of something. So in this case, um, think of a free fatty acid. And you could think of like, once again, oleic acid would be a perfect example here. So, you know, uh, the oleic acid in the 910 position of that molecule usually has a double bond. It can float a little bit, but for the most part in oleic, it's around 910. We'll then take another oleic acid with, and with that, that head group, that carboxylic acid or that free fatty acid. And we'll basically, our technology allows us to create an ester bond across that double bond. Um, and what we do now is we have what's called an esterite, so it's still an ester bond. Um, we have essentially a catalyst and technology that does that. But now you basically, instead of having a bond like this, you've got a bond like this. And if you just think about that geometry, it's harder for water to basically get in attack because there's now a steric hindrance uh, along that ester bond. So it's, it's a secondary ester bond. It does not mean, I always want to be clear of this, it's still susceptible to hydrolytic cleavage. But the steric hindrance basically dramatically enhances that property. A good example of this is, is so we'll, we'll, we'll make these molecules. And, and what's nice about this is it's really a polymer reaction. So you, you'll make one, right? And then now I've got another double bond sitting on this molecule over here. And I come and I stack another one on and then I stack another one. And it allows us to grow these uh, polymer chains really to any size we want. So we can go small, we can go large. It's another issue that esters sometimes have. We talked a lot about polyol esters where I pick an initiator like TMP, which has three alcohols or pentaryphetol. In this case, I just keep growing until I get to the viscosity I want. So I can make very thin and very thick viscosities, but the chemistry stays the same across that entire chain length. And, mm -hmm. and really hydrolytic, hydrolytic stability is never weak across any of those bonds. We've done hydraulic stability testing. We've done the traditional ASTM methodology to show it. But one of our favorites um, is we, we built this, we call this torture test. And we, we, take, um, we take our material, our estalide, we put in like 1% weight by water. We stir it at like 500 RPM and we heat it up to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. And then over time we measure tan. And we see a roughly order of magnitude increase in time until you get similar tan numbers from high, from hydrolytic uh, uh, cleavage. So it's, it, the steric hindrance really, really does work. Um, and, and, and so it's, a, it's an interesting molecule in that we're using, once again, kind of the building blocks of mother nature to protect the molecule better um, and, and eventually, you know, uh, delay the onset of hydrolytic uh, uh, cleavage from, from water entrainment. Uh, it doesn't go away completely. Um, although we're, we're researching technology that eventually may get us there for that as well. Uh, and when we get there someday, I could always do a, a follow-up show with you to, to talk about it. Um, we have ideas, but um, it, um, it is very intriguing in that it, it moves the needle. And it, it moves the needle far enough that in applications where you could never consider an ester for use in kind of water applications, you, I think you now can. Um, and, and so we, we find that, I find that quite, quite intriguing, just, you know, using a little bit of steric Hendrix to solve one of your problems. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so a couple of things that I, I noticed there. 
So first of all, you can basically keep the polymerization reaction running as long as you want, right? So now, I mean, traditionally esters have been thought about as rather low viscosity molecules. Now mm -hmm. what we're saying is with certain reactions, you can make a molecule as big as you want. So now we're talking about potentially having, uh, you know, ester base stocks being the foundation for things like gear oils, right? Where, gear oils. Where traditionally we probably haven't, you know, ester has always been a co-base rather than the, the main event, if you want to, if you want to say that. So now that, that becomes a possibility. Um, the other thing I just wanted to make sure I understand this correctly with hysteric hindrance is, let's say, for example, you, you kind of basically talked about it being a, a almost like a, a T-junction, right? At a, yeah. At a, yeah. at a road intersection. So if, if at the, at the center of that T-junction is the ester functional group, you're using the fact that all of these molecules on the, was it the oleic acid? Um, yes. Uh, you know, that you've got to imagine they've also got an electron cloud around them. That's kind of uh, basically acting as a blocker to water, right? Yep. Um, yep. To use uh, American football terminology. <laughs> um, you know, just basically, like literally geometrically getting in the way so that it's harder for a water molecule to get in. Yeah, and I think it's it's that and the fact that you know, if you think about you're going into the middle of that oleic acid chain and that, that oleic acid chain for the most part is a pretty hydrophobic region as well, right? It's, mm. um, you know, a lot of, you know, CH groups, not as mm. polar itself. And so in some ways you're, you're also, you're, you're, you're kind of joining it into, now it makes it a more polar domain once you create the bond, but you're taking kind of a, that, that polar in group and putting it next to a rel relatively hydrophobic group as well. So I think there's some, some even enhancement that kind of comes from that, but yeah, so you're, You've got it right. You're using the, the steric hendrix of that bond and plus the kind of hydrophobic domain, really just kind of trying to create a shell that keeps the water away, makes it harder and takes more energy to get the water into that bond. Yeah. So, and do you get advantages over, let's say, something like a polyolester, as an example, because you are also dispersing the functional groups throughout the molecule? Because it seems like the way that you guys are building it, the, the you might have many ester functional groups but they're roughly, in terms of the geometry of the whole molecule, they're roughly evenly dispersed, let's say. Whereas with the polyol ester, all the, all the oxygens, right, from the ester functional groups are all centered in the middle. Uh, so I imagine yep. that, that the, having all the polarity in the molecule right in the middle helps to attract water to it. Um, yep. This is my simplistic Whereas. Thing. And I think that's fair is, is, is whereas in the acetylide, it's, it's evenly dispersed along the entire chain length of the molecule. And then actually it even helps in some other areas, not just around um, hydraulic stability, that kind of even polarity, we think also um, has really dramatically enhanced the overall solvency uh, of the acetylide molecules. Yeah, right. Acetylides have some of the lowest aniline points uh, we've ever measured in base oils. So they're just super solvent. And, and I think that dispersed polarity across the entire pan length, or sorry, entire chain length of that molecule uh, does help in that, so. Okay. Now you actually also asked about seal swell. So I wanna make sure- Oh I'm yeah, 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 this. let's talk about that. Um, and I think it goes back to something you just said earlier is, is traditionally esters, you think of as smaller, lower viscosity materials. And, and, and you know part of what you see with esters is just because their size 
they they have the ability to intercalate into these kind of uh, elastomer matrices, mm -hmm. which is what ends up swelling them, right? And in some cases, that is a good thing. I mean, there, there are people that'll, that sell esters as seal swell additives for base yeah. oils that tend to traditionally harden, right, uh, mm -hmm. um, elastomers. But it has definitely limited their impact on applications. Motor oil, I think you brought up, was a, was a great example. Um, our, I will say this, our low viscosity estalide technology looks a lot like esters when it comes to seal swell. They're smaller. It's basically one chain length. It's got similar polarity function. So it acts a lot like a seal swell agent. And we're aware of that. But what's interesting about our larger molecules. So like uh, we make a, right now we have a essentially an ISO 150 and an ISO 680. So you're talking about like the thickest of the thick gear oils. Mm -hmm. And those types of estalide molecules are so big they actually can't get into the elastomer matrix. And, and ironically, what we see is they tend to slightly harden the, um, the, 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 the materials because once again, they have good solvency. They tend to maybe extract some of the plasticizers and other things out of those elastomers mm -hmm. and they'll slightly harden it, more like what you see out of some traditional base oils. So it, it's, a, it's a completely different type of ester at that point, so. Right, that's, that's hilarious. So you actually, get into a point where you need to add seal swell agents to we, an ester. We'll take a little, yeah, well, actually what we'll do is we'll take a little bit of our low viscosity estimates oh, right. yeah, and yeah, dose them sense. in. And, and you'll get, you know, very good. And, and because of that, we've been able to really, um, you know, we have fully formulated gear oils, hydraulic fluids, and motor oils. And we've been able to get through all of our elastomer testing, really because we can kind of tweak those two functionalities. Now, I will say like esters traditionally are really, NBRs, HBRs can be kind of challenging for esters and we have to work on that. But on everything else, um, we've even passed some of the really challenging seal swell applications for, for maritime industry, for like stern tube seals and, and, and those and like A-Gear Marine being a good example. And, and so it's another reason why kind of the S-Lite technology helps fix, um, you know, what can be perceived as a problem around seal swell. And we do it, we do it by size. There's no real magic here. It's just yeah, the size yeah. of the molecule, so. I, and I just wanted to pick up as well, because uh, you guys as a company, I mean, we talked about the potential weaknesses of esters in a, as an engine oil, but you guys have actually made an engine oil, right? Yes. Out of the ester lights. So, um, first of all, like, how did that project come about? And, and uh, I, you know, I, I think what it was is, you know, you kind of spoke this is, is esters kind of had a, a bad rap when it came to engine oil and in some ways so we wanted to pick what we thought was one of the more demanding applications uh where esters had not worked before uh as well as show that you could make a uh bio preferred we have a, in the usda um bio preferred program here in the united states if you can get your bio content above a certain ratio you can you can claim bio preferred status so we wanted to see if we could could ch check those boxes and so we actually started with a fully formulated GFI 5W20, 5W30 motor oil and did the full engine sequence testing um, on this program. And it was it was we it was us. We, we used estalides and, and a, a group three blend and um, we passed every engine test first time through and, and which was really pretty awesome for a new formulation. We've done fleet trials. We did, did some work with the Department of Defense. Uh, we've we've got another green fleets, and you know we did this. We the been my favorite story is we did this taxi cab study out in um, Nevada desert where we had three engines run on kind of conventional motor oil and three on ours. And after 150,000 miles of 
desert drive and you take the engines apart, the Estelite engines were just, they were still shiny. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that solvency, natural detergencies you get with esters. I mean, it kept the engines unbelievably clean, even at drain intervals of like uh, um, 12,000, where it's kind of the conventional, it's the standard kind of varnish and sludge you pick up with over time. And because of that, we're, we're actually doing a, you know, we're a small company, early stage. So our goal is not to be an in, in formulator of, of engine oils, but we want people to use our technology. And so we are trying to right now spend the engine test to get the GF6 formulations on a 0W20, a 5W20, 5W30. And um, we're working with partners really around re-refined base oils in conjunction with Estelites because we think the two together have a really nice environmental story uh, for, yeah. for the end user. So, so um, again, this is just me trying, just trying to think through the logic of it. Um, in, in an engine oil, you know, uh, traditionally detergents and dispersants make up a pretty decent chunk of the ad pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, with esters having such high solvency for deposits and things like that, can are you able to reduce a fair bit of the ad pack um, by using esters as your sort of core base oil? I, I think it's a I think it's a good thought, and I think the answer is, is you look at our formulation and the results. I think the answer is yes. Unfortunately, what we did, once again, just because we can't spin too many engine programs, is we just yeah. we took an off-the-shelf ad pack that was GFI approved, ran the engine tests we could get through, and didn't really get the chance to do a lot of research around how much ad we could pull back. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the problem was, I mean, here's a good example. We passed every engine test the first time, and the numbers looked great. It means you're highly over-aditized at that point, right? Yeah. A, a smart formulator is going to pull that back, save costs, right? Um, for us, it was a demonstration project, mm-hmm. so we didn't yeah. run all the research. But I think you're spot on with how you could think about smartly formulating uh, an engine oil because of taking advantage of some of those intrinsic properties uh, of the esters. So Yeah, okay. Awesome. Um, if we could maybe pivot a little bit just to um, what goes into an ester, sort of a bit more on the, the manufacturing side. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things I've seen you guys talk about it by synthetic technologies is the idea that you can have basically carbon negative or, or carbon neutral lubricant manufacture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, just perception from the outside is uh, all synthetic lubricants are made in the chemicals industry and whatever feedstocks you're using they must start in the petrochemical world. Therefore, you know, in the end, everything is fossil fuel based, right? So like PAOs, for example, yep. you know, at some point they started their life as ethylene gas. Um, yep. So how are, how are esters different? Like what, what are the components? If I had to break down the, the components of, of esters or estolides specifically, where do they come from? Yeah, so the vast, I'll say, the vast majority of esters, but not all, like like we were talking about aviation, this isn't true, all of them, a lot of them are biosourced. So you take mm-hmm. you take natural oils, palm, uh, castor, uh, soybean, you split them, you create the free fatty acid, which is your acid parts, and then usually you take a, usually you take now a, uh, a crude or, eth- you know, uh, a crude petroleum-based derived alcohol for the most part. Because if you just use glycerol again, you kind of get the same natural oil. So it's not, hmm. and, and you glue those back together uh, as an ester. And so I would say 
80% of a molecule or more is, is bio-derived, uh, so oleo-sourced uh, from Mother Nature, but not all these. You know, if you're using, once again, low-pore technology, valeric acid, a lot of those can be 100% crude-derived. Um, with our estolides, one of the really interesting things that we do is, is we have a couple sources that we can use. We can use hyaluronic soybean oil. We can use castor. And, and if I take castor, for example, is, is, is we'll, we're backward integrated with the, with the castor manufacturing sites. And uh, we'll use, uh, so the products coming out of castor, we split them. We turn them into very specific free fatty acid that allows us to grow up our estolides to the molecule. But what's interesting is being backwards integrated is, is on this site that we manufacture in India, is it's very close to the castor crush fields. Uh, and so we, we get the castor oil in we take the spent crush and mill, and that actually fires our boilers that produces the steam. That's the energy we need to drive our reactions forward. And so we're starting with bio-based materials. We're, um, we're using steam generated from carbon that's been burned from, from natural sources. And actually the vast majority of electricity, not all, but the vast majority is actually uh, generated from a local uh, wind farm in the Gujarat province. And so we're able to actually create um, you know, with kind of these specialty molecules, a very low carbon footprint molecule that uh, essentially is, is, is for the most part bio-based. Now, to be fair, we have a couple of different versions of our esolides. Some are 100% bio-based. Uh, some are maybe 70% bio-based. Occasionally we use alcohols that are, that are crude derived to, to enhance certain properties. Uh, but for the overall most part is, is we have a very low carbon footprint in order to do that. And um, it's, it's a great story. Um, and, and, and now, we're manufacturing most of our chemistry is batch esterification. There, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do esterification. You can kind of build giant continuous plants that are going to just kind of crank out one type of molecule or, or a couple that are very specific. So you're not getting contamination. Um, that's good. I mean, we, we, we need a lot of esters for certain things, uh, but esters also have a, a very a high degree of uh, specialization, if you will. And there's a lot of companies that do this as well. because it, it fits well in kind of smaller batch. That means you can have a lot of tailorability on that smaller scale. And that's what I like about our technology is on this kind of small scale batch, we can really customize this molecule for the needs of the end user. And I told you, we can, we can kind of grow them to wherever you need to go. Mm. And so if you need a small molecule, medium molecule, a large molecule, we can kind of grow it to your, to your specification. We have a little bit of, of um, a little bit of tailoring we can do on the end groups. Um, we can, we can change the source of the free fatty acid as well. And, and so we're doing that on a smaller scale. But like I said, and our goal is, is we like to look at the overall sustainability of what we do. Uh, it's one of the reasons we like castor as well. Um, it's grown sustainably. It's not displacing uh, other food crops. It, it's, uh, it's well integrated in kind of one geographic. So you're not moving it all over. So by the time it leaves the gate in India, we really only have to move it one more time to kind of our, our end user application. So, um, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's, it's a fun technology. Yeah, so. I mean, castor oil has got a pretty long history uh, in, in the lubricating world, right? I mean, just, yeah. you know, the trivia is obviously uh, castor oil, castor oil. That's yep. where the name castor oil comes from, right? So a Absolutely. So Yeah, um, yeah okay. So, I mean, I was going to ask the question about, uh, you know, the kind of ester let's say, uh, business landscape, right? Because like you said, you do have some of the bigger players cranking out uh, maybe what you would describe as being commodity esters, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, you've got a menu of six different kinds of ester, you know, in those viscosity grades and, uh, 
if, if that's not going to work for you, then, you know, kind of tough. Uh, versus what you guys do, which is a little bit more tailoring. Um, and to, to me, that that's what the interest is in, in Estes because um, I guess we're going to title this Estes as a technology platform. It really does feel like with Estes, you can sort of build out the molecule you want. Um, it's almost like having a, a bunch of Lego bricks and saying, I want to, I want to make, make, make my own thing. Right. Rather than what's on the box. So yeah, yeah uh, exactly. And, and, yeah. and that's some of the fun, you know, um, if you give chemists the ability to tinker <laughs> like we do at Estelite, just where we get excited and, um, you know, yeah. a, a lot of respect for people that can produce commodity products every day in and out inspect on massive scale. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a need for that for applications, yep. but there's also a need for these, these kind of specialty applications. Uh, and you know, um, what's nice too about our technologies is this is one of the things that most customers are going to ask is, you know, we talk about specialization and more niche, but can you scale? Cause a lot of times, mm -hmm. if, you know, I really want to have an impact on the overall sustainability of, uh, of our world. You have to be able to scale your technology in some capacity. And so far, the S-Lite technology has proved very scalable. And, and, and we have a couple of different ways we can tackle that. We've, we've studied ways of actually building continuous plants that can make specific types of S-Lites using high lake soy oil and, say, lauric acid. And we've looked at castor. And so we've got a couple of ways of getting there. And, and if you think about it, that's important because in different regions of the world, not everybody's on the same technology. Castor, for example, is almost primarily grown in India, like 90% mm. of the molecules grown in India. But if I want to produce estalides here in the United States, um, I would probably want to use local sources of, of fatty acids, so local oil. And in that case, uh, soy oil and high lake oil is by far the predominant choice uh, uh, for making estalides. You know, if I'm in Malaysia or others, sustainable palm is probably something I'm thinking about, or in China, you know, access to sustainable palm is better. And so part of it is being able to adapt your technology to the feedstocks uh, where they are, where you are in the world. So, yeah, it's so cool. I mean, one of the, my sort of interest areas is, is uh, what does the state of the lubricant industry look like in a hundred years when we are in a, like a post fossil fuels world, you know, yeah. without crude oil, you're still going to need lubricant, right? So, so what are we going to yep. do? And, and Esther seems like it's, uh, it's well suited to being, you know, one of the core technologies of, of the future. Um, you know, I'm like reading about, you know, the ionic fluids and all that kind of stuff. But I guess one of the advantages of Vestas is it sort of fits in with our uh, existing technology and supply chains, right? So the the cutover, if we ever needed to cut over from, from mineral oils to esters, that's a relatively easy change to make. Whereas with something like ionic fluids, although they're, you know, very cool, uh, you know, we're so far behind on the on the, the research side and, and and like you said, scaling the technology as well. We don't have the manufacturing facilities to sort of really be able to do that, I guess. Um, yeah, it's funny. My my uh, my buddy in graduate school in the same group, he, he started some of the early ionic liquid research. And I remember what it took just for him to make a couple of grams of the stuff. But that's that's once again, you hit it. That's why I like slides is. We're, we basically drop into existing plant technology. You don't have to go buy some new piece of equipment. You don't need some new magic catalyst. You don't need some new technology to come out of nowhere. We can literally do it in plants that already exist. And, and that really helps from a, from a manufacturing, because I mean, you're right, 100 years from now, you know, as, as we change over, if we have to rebuild everything, it doesn't make sense. And so finding things that fit, uh, like S-Lides, I think makes a lot of sense. So, On the application side, when, when customers come to you, do they do they request 
specific properties? Like how 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 does that relationship happen? Do they is it more like they see they've seen your existing product line and then they choose something from the menu or being that you guys are a sort of a small batch customizer of of molecules do they say hey i would like my ester to do x y and z can you build me a molecule that does it i'd say i'd say the majority of our customers you know they've probably seen our product literature they they've we've put together a number of what i call prototype formulations gear oils hydraulics motor oils and, and, and we're honest, we, we have the data and we have the formula, exact formulations we've done. We've done blends with PAO, we've done blends with um, group threes and group twos and group ones at different viscosities. And because and most customers, I mean, we're realistic, most people don't want to come in and do a 100% drop in replacement. It's usually a blend or some way of making the, the product you know, more, more tailored. So most are, are really kind of seeing that literature and, and take it. What we do see is, is we, we serve more than just the lubricant market. You know, we're in metalworking, we're in personal care. And, and we'll see that we'll come in and say, you know, I like this, but if I could have X, you know, I could launch this whole new product line. And we actually, um, we recently, it's, we've just brought it online. We've built a new, a new S-Lite molecule specifically around that custom request. Um, I, I will say the, the only caveat on that is, is the the, the global registry the, to, to get to pass the global regulatory process now uh, for all the countries, if you want to launch a global project, it's quite expensive and, and quite complicated to register your molecule in all these different markets now. And as, as a small company, we always have to, you know, early stage, we have to think about how we're using our resources. And so, um, you know, we want to have kind of this core technology that we get out there. So it's not unlimited customization. We try to work in the framework of what regulatory we can change with the molecules that, that we've registered. But it, you know, it was something that I didn't appreciate um, when, when, I, when I first started developing this chemistry is just how much work there now is when you're building a brand new molecule from scratch on, you know, proving the, to the regulatory bodies of, of really all the countries, is it safe? Is it effective? And uh, so it's something to consider when, when, when you're developing new molecules and, and new formulations as well. And um, so a, a different angle to think about. And so like if you're, you know, if you're thinking about what molecules am I going to choose, what different in-groups, you want to use things that have kind of been used before or known that you can get some read across uh, to, to help speed that process through. So, yeah, awesome. Hey, uh, I guess I should call you Dr. Matt. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thanks. I, I I thought that that was a that, that was fascinating, um, and we we kind of uh, I mean you definitely answered all my questions. Uh, I think you know esters is such a uh, a fascinating part of the business because because of the customization, right? I mean, people talk about esters as being a single group, and and you know within within the API groups they get lumped in with with everything else, right? With PAGs yeah. and PIOs and everything like that, um, but. But yeah, the, the the customization I think is is uh, a really kind of growing part. Maybe one final question before you go would be: sure. Where do you see the ester market in, let's say, 10, 10 20 years? Um, you know, I think I, I see it growing. Um, you know, we, we've seen kind of green green waves, as you will, in the past, and, and green fluids, um, and. And right now, there seems to be a, a pretty significant groundswell around sustainability. Uh, and you see this companies now have sustainability officers. It's part of their, you know, uh, investment banks are looking at 
the sustainability when they make investments now. And so in a lot of ways, we're, we're baking sustainability into the things we do. And and what I find interesting is, is you know, um, a lot of companies will go and they do all the easy stuff to make themselves sustainable, right? I put in LED lights, I, you know, I, I try to, I, I more fuel efficient fleet, and then you kind of get stuck and you think about, well, what's the next tier of things I can do? And, mm. and that's why I like things like estolides and esters as well. If, if I'm running manufacturing plants, that's using lots of metalworking fluids or hydraulic fluids that are, all, that have to be, you know, replenished on, on a regular basis that are all derived from petrochemical carbon. Well, if I want to become more sustainable, I can I can change that out, uh, even with blends to bio-based products. And so I think in order to hit our sustainability targets and, and drive it forward, we're going to move more towards these bio or, or renewable sources of carbon. So things like esters are just going to have to play a role in, in helping us achieve those objectives. Now, realistically, if you look at the, the carbon balance of the amount of carbon from petroleum that goes into um that goes into a lubricant versus a fuel, it's still a pretty small cut, right? I mean, I, I just to be honest, I think you know, 99.9% .9 probably goes into fuels and the, the small leftovers is really in, in the lubrication world, but that doesn't mean we can't make an impact here. And so you, I think you're gonna see it with fuels. You've seen this a lot with fuels, a lot mm -hmm. of sin fuels now are going this way, renewable diesels and et cetera. And, and I think you're gonna, the industry is pushing this way uh, with lubricants. And I think as we continue to enhance the performance of esters, it's not just a renewability or a sustainability mm. claim that you're making. It's a performance claim that you can make. And, and there's always a willingness to pay for performance if it fits your application. So, Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And uh, I mean, one of the things I talked about, well, we talked about at a, a summit a couple of weeks ago was the idea of um, customization of lubricants, you know, uh, and, and end users, right? Like if I have a gearbox and I need a very specific... Uh, you know, performance rating out of that gearbox, you know, the idea that maybe in the future I'll be able to like request a very, very specific lubricant. And uh, you can kind of only really get that from Estes and a couple of other platforms. So yeah, um, yeah, I think uh, personally, I think the future is bright, but you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, yeah. yeah, cool. Hey, Dr. Matt, uh, thank you so much for, for talking to us today. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, obviously all the knowledge that you brought then we hit so many different areas of where you can customize esters. Um, and so I think uh, hopefully everyone uh, really enjoyed the discussion. As usual, if you've got questions or comments, uh, leave them down below and uh, I'll see if I can get to them. But uh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's been a lot of fun talking about it.